Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and it's episode 46 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. The podcast where I, Daryl Edge, am on my journey to true Cage Nirvana by watching all the films of the greatest actor of this generation. How are you doing? How's your week been? Hope it's been well. Big week for your boy on a number of levels. First and foremost, managed to get a PS5 from Amazon. How the fuck has your boy pulled that off? Well, Cage Senpai watching over from the uh, the Great Golden Gates, the Golden Hog, overlooking your boy and granting some of that Golden Hog look this week. Also, in a personal podcast news, this is a big one. Now, not just because it is, in terms of release dates, technically the one-year anniversary of Cage Rage Dickers Cage podcast. That's right. On April 4th last year, 2020, the first episode came out. Now April 4th, 2021, we're 46 episodes into this thing, and we're celebrating it with the Wicker Man, baby. What a better way to celebrate a Nicholas Cage podcast than talking about what is arguably one of the cagiest of the Cage films in the Wicker Man. Very excited to get into this one. But a whole year, that's awesome, that's good. Enjoying it, loving it even. You know, we're doing well, we're getting the guests on. We're getting a good reaction. People are listening, apparently, which is always nice. We're closing in on 700 followers on Twitter, if you find that kind of thing important, at cage underscore podcast on Twitter. Please give your boy a follow. Always appreciated, always willing and happy to talk about Nicholas Cage. But also, more importantly, this week's guest, we've got Andy Field on, a fantastic comedian. Uh, We go a few years back. You may have seen him recently. But this week, our guest is stand-up comedian Andy Field, a former winner of the Chortle Student Comedy Award. Uh, You may have seen him recently on BBC, the show Stand Up for BBC, which is on the BBC iPlayer now, and also from the radio show The Andy Field Experience. Very, very excited to have had Andy on. We recorded this back in November. It's been sitting on this one for a little while now. And we have a, a really, really fun chat. You know, we talk all about Cage. We talk about the Wicker Man. We talk about Andy's new dog. Uh, we talk about a shared event uh, into my backstory, which actually culminated in a Wicker Man-based apology from Andy as well. Um, so all of that's to come and so much more. And just before we get into it, we'll get the admins out of the way. Please consider following the show again on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast. Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. You can listen to the show on all the usual streaming services Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Deezer, Tuned In, um, and Podchaser. Did I already say Podchaser? Well, if not, I'm saying it again. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, per chance, uh, feel free to give the show a rating as well, a little star rating. You know, all the podcasts say it, I'm saying it, but we say it because we've got to overcome those goddamn algorithms, you know, the algorithms 
Never really favour the smaller podcast, the smaller streamer, the smaller YouTuber. You know how it goes, but you give it a rating, you give the show a follow. It helps us grow, helps us grow on the journey to true Cajun of Honor. Always space for more on that train. And I'm looking forward to having you take that seat with me as well. That's enough from me. Let's get into the episode. It's episode 46, the one-year special, baby. It's the Wicker Man. Let's do it. Duh. And joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana this week is comedian and all-round good egg, Andy Field. He's going to join me to talk about The Wicker Man, the 2006 remake, a remake of the 1973 British folk horror classic by the same name. So The Wicker Man follows Nicholas Cage as police officer Edward Malus when his ex-fiance informs him that a daughter has gone missing and asks for his help. The search soon brings him to an island inhabited by a secretive neo-pagan community where a much larger mystery awaits. So, Andy, you're going to help me tour this strange island. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> first of all, thank you so much for joining me. How are no, you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's the middle of lockdown, so not much is going on. But I did get a puppy yesterday, so I've just been smiling really hard because she's like... It's like small, she can fit in my hands and she just squeaks sometimes and it's just the best thing you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, if I if I read the post correctly, um, Sophie Ellis Barkster, which yeah. let's address the greatest name for a dog that there's ever been. I'm really been. pleased with it. Yeah, I'm really pleased. I mean, it's me and my girlfriend have gotten a dog, so we had to agree on a name. I might have gone even weirder with it if it was just up to me. But we shot around names for ages trying to agree on one. And when she agreed on Sophie Ellis Barkster, I just didn't see it coming. I was expecting <laughs> that to get slapped down so quickly. And then it just became a running joke for months because we wanted to get a dog for ages. And then, yeah, we went to we went to like really far east London, nearly like Dartford, like near the M25 to pick right. up the dog. And the lady was lovely, but uh, when we told her we wanted to call the dog Sophie Ellis Barkster, she just her face just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> she developed a real affection for that puppy, and I think they were called her like Bernie or something. And then she had to go to the vets and change her name to Sophie Ellis Baxter, <laughs> Barkster. <laughs> and uh, I know that wasn't a pleasant trip for her, but I really appreciated it. <laughs> Well, the, the most important thing that uh, Sophie Ellie Sparkster is with you. What I enjoyed the idea of, if you're ever like out walking the dog, if and you have to say she's having to run around, you call her back. Are you going yeah. full name, just Sophie? We're already just calling her Soph, but I think like <laughs> it's it's just like it's like how your parents when they use your full name. It's only when you've done something wrong, you know. So if we're just knocking about, oh, where's Soph? Sophie, come here. But if she does something wrong, then it's Sophie Ellis Sparkster. How dare you? <laughs> we shit together. And I feel like I've got to ask: Have you tried to contact Sophie Ellis Baxter on social media just to say, "Look at this"? I mean, I feel like that is a logical next step. I very nearly tagged Sophie Ellis Baxter because you you know about Sophie Ellis Baxter because I, I tweeted about her yesterday, yeah, and I very nearly tagged Sophie Ellis Baxter in that tweet. But then I just feel like, what's the follow up? Com- if she does get back to me, she's going to be like, "Wow, you big fan," and I'm like, honestly, no. i know one song by you i think it's funny to call a dog sophie ellis barkster um that's all it is so i just you know i worry that she'll think that um she'll expect me to be a big fan and then i'll have to pretend that i know more than one of her songs um 
but hopefully she hears about it one day just by the dog getting famous we might go on britain's got talent you know that'd be good <laughs> oh, <laughs> she can bark to murder on the dance floor just go for it murder on the dance poor as someone pointed out so oh. we're, we're gonna make a covers album yeah <laughs> <laughs> this this doggy if that's not the ticket to fame then i don't know what is? I hope it is no it must be i mean i know the people who book talent for britain's got talent as well so i reckon it is an avenue open to us <laughs> well i mean that aside not only being uh the uk's foremost water slide based comedian and and if you need to know about water slide humor it's beyond the bloody bbc talking about it no less he's too big for this but what an honor it is to have him here um i see now i'm very big fan of yours I very uh, awkwardly positioned that question to Nicolas Cage based now as well. Um, are you a fan of Nicolas Cage? I'm a huge fan of Nicolas Cage. I mean, you know, me and you, we go back, you know, um, not do. just as, a, as a, a fan and genius, but also <laughs> <laughs> but just as, as friends. We went to university together and I've, I've been a... I, I've been a, a big Nicolas Cage fan and I've been aware of your Nicolas Cage fandom for a while as well. Um, so it's beautiful that we finally get to talk about this because I've spent years admiring the man and his, his complete lack of... Uh, 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 I'm trying to find the sort of word for medium, you know? Like, not he, he's never in the middle, you know? He's yeah. a man of extremes. And I like that about him. There was, obviously I forget the name of the actor now, but there was a fairly famous actor, means nothing because I don't have the name as reference, who said that Nicolas Cage was basically the only man to push the medium since Marlon Brando. So there are people out there who really admire his level and what he brings to the playing field of acting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've, I've listened to him talk about like, like cinema in a really informed way. And like his uncle was like Francis Ford Coppola or something, wasn't it? Yeah, very famous yeah. lineage. Yeah, exactly. So it's all in films. And you hear him talk about films and he's talking about like black and white, like art house stuff you've never seen. And you realise this is the man who's obsessed with movies and really knowledgeable on them, which makes it all the more bizarre how, how bad at acting he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's not bad at acting, but he's not good at acting like a normal person. Like all of his roles... It's not like like this Wicker Man film. It's not like what happens if a normal guy goes to an island to search for a missing girl. It's what happens if Nicolas Cage goes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like in all of the films, it's like, what if this happened to Nicolas Cage as opposed to like, what if it happened to a, a normal person? And he's, but it's, yeah, it's just like watching, it's as if you watch a terrible comedian and then talk to them afterwards and realise they've just, they know so much about the craft and you're like, how? How do you know so much about the craft? <laughs> and you paired it with such a, a weird, weird approach. But he's great. It's it's a interesting medium with Cage because there was someone who I was talking to not long ago who said there's films that Nicolas Cage is in, and there's Nicolas Cage films. And I think yeah. it's fair to say that The Wicker Man is up there with the cagiest oh, of so the Cage cagey. films. There's almost no other. I was reading trivia about Wicker Man before this, um, just really getting in the zone, going method on it, Stanislavski, <laughs> whatever. And I, uh, I, I read that the script is 80% the same as the original, yeah. which everyone actually liked. So it's even more <laughs> phenomenal that they barely changed the script and made a, a polar opposite quality film. <laughs> 
it's it's genuinely incredible. Um, it was a uh, Neil LeBute who wrote it, and actually Nicholas Cage production company Saturn Films, who acquired the rights to this at some point. Which yeah. one? That company is interesting because next to no information exists about them when you search <laughs> for them. It's really right. hard to find any info. Um, they say that the, the dialogue was in a quote-unquote different context, but um, I found it interestingly, the guy, Robin Hardy, who wrote the original 70s film, he asked for his name to be removed from the credits because he didn't want <laughs> anything to do with the, <laughs> with the remake. Um, That's excellent. I may also not surprise you to hear that the uh, 2006 version was not screened for critics either, <laughs> which is yeah, usually, no, usually not a great sign. <laughs> Everyone heard about it. This is just one of those films that just went uh, insanely memeable for a multitude of reasons. It was um, amazing. It's, and I, I'd seen it in bits and pieces. I'd seen it in clips and part of yeah. Cage, losing his shit compilations, like uh, a number of other people with access to YouTube. But then I thought, right, maybe, just maybe, seeing the film in its entirety, which I now own on Amazon, by the way, for £7 and don't regret. Um, <laughs> I had to get a free trial to watch it. I need to it. <laughs> Absolutely do that, because that's how Amazon gets you. No, I um, don't But I thought maybe, if I can see the wider context of The Wicker Man, maybe it will make sense. Maybe it won't be as outlandish. I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> it's worse, <laughs> if anything. It's... There's, there's small incredible. bits that people don't talk about as much. Like, I was watching it before this, and um, there's a bit of the, just right at the beginning, and he's at home, and the phone rings, and he answers it, and there's no one there. And then he just, there's a dialing tone, and he goes like, boop, boop, and he, he, rec- he literally recoils from the phone. Like, he's upset. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> like, he's like, and that's just the, the five second scene of like, all right, Nicholas, you just need to answer the phone. There's no one there and it's weird. And yeah. he just, he does it like 150 times more what needs to be done. It's beautiful to watch, you know, and those are the bits you miss. That's not memeable. That's just, that's him trying to do exposition and still looking like a cartoon character. It's incredible. <laughs> It's, it's sort of interesting with this idea of over the top. I don't know if you saw this uh, interview we had. It was like three years ago for a different film called Mum and Dad. And this interviewer just outright asked him, was like, Nicholas, like, do you think that you're over the top? And he's never been more offended to be asked a question in his life. Like, <laughs> yeah. His castmates sort of start giggling because they kind of think, oh, it's a bit of a jokey question. You know what Nicholas is like? But he just, you could see him visibly tense. He's like, I'll tell you when I'm over the top. I set the bar. I'll tell you when I go over it. <laughs> so I think he's just had this question for 40 years. Like, Nicholas, are you shit? And he's just got tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well, lost. The, the thing is, he's not shit. I'm almost certain he does everything he does on purpose. You know, like he did yeah. the Wicked Man film and he went like, I'm hamming this up so hard. We're going to make it like, a, a, a comedy almost we're gonna go fun with it and then he does it but it just happens to be that seeing it is mad because no one else uh does that <laughs> <laughs> well it's i couldn't help but sort of almost compare it to like the room in how it was perceived after it was released I mean, obviously tommy was thought he was making this really um um different film one that was going to take america by storm and it was yeah. just laughed at 
when it came out. It was the same with The Wicker Man to the point where the writer Nicolas Cage saw, almost backtracked and went, oh, it's we purposefully made an absurdist black comedy and <laughs> this is how you're supposed to view the film. Um, the, the critical reception was that it was unintentionally funny and it really yeah. is. <laughs> so I was trying to watch it with it in... I, I was like, well, what if you do view this as a comedy? And if you do, it's actually quite funny. It's got like... <laughs> There's a bit when he punches the bear in the face. And I swear he makes a bear pun as well, doesn't he? He says, like, bear with me and then punches a bear. There's something like that. But yeah, at the there end. There are jokes in it. What is that, a shark? <laughs> Why would that be a shark? That's what I kind of found with his character, and I can't believe it's intentional, certainly not at the time. But his character, um, Edward Malus, he's, the second he gets to the island, he's a dick to everyone. Yeah, he bursts so into every room and threatens to arrest everyone. And he's like, I'm going to need to talk to all of you. And you're like, this is a community you're a guest in. <laughs> so you're not it, welcome. They've made it clear that this is um, a private island. You know, this this outsiders don't come here. You're here on a technicality at most. And you've been nothing but aggressive and negative to this people's <laughs> way of life. Yeah, exactly. I it's reckon they don't minutes. even usually sacrifice people, but he was just so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> usually guests come and they're like, hey, do you want to learn how to weave? <laughs> 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 but he was like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Where's the baby? <laughs> I know she exists. You know? <laughs> so I, was, I was aware from clips that he hit just an inordinate amount of people. When it started, it was like, that's one, <laughs> that's yeah. two. It's like he just starts building momentum. And... Again, we're sort of pushing ahead, but towards the end, where he he's either running or cycling around the island, this man's got <laughs> so much stamina. Such stamina, such fitness. <laughs> it's amazing. What I couldn't help but find really funny, the number of times he um, either has an argument with someone or he steals the bike from Rose the teacher and then he just cycles away. There's no cool way to just pedal away slowly into the distance. That is the hardest vehicle to make a cool exit on, isn't it? It's a bicycle of like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> you know, you can't. <laughs> Maybe a scooter would be more embarrassing. But rollerblades would be better. Um, <laughs> there was a bit right at the beginning as well that I, I'd forgotten about. And it's the fact that he's a, he's a motorcycle-based policeman in California. Yeah. And, and you forget about this because he almost never mentions anything about it as soon as he gets to the island. So it's only relevant for the first 10 minutes. But he essentially gives people parking tickets in a different state. So he doesn't even have any, like, he's not even in, in, in a position to threaten anyone with a legal process because he's, he's, just, what, he's just left his job, has he? <laughs> he's not yeah. doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not a private investigator. He's like, he's a policeman in a different state. <laughs> no, he, he acts like he's um, a really gritty, withered and weathered detective, but he's just yeah. like another, like, I hate to be disrespectful, but an entry-level cop. Like, he's yeah. not more special yeah. than anyone else. <laughs> he has the vibe of, like, Jack Bauer from 24. Like, he acts like he's with <laughs> the FBI, but he's, he's just like a glorified, like, traffic policeman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the most of his day comes, he's just returning dolls to people who've dropped them out of cars. Uh, but before that, like, he's in the diner, and it's just 
like the, the the waitress and another copy's with, and he's looking at the like videotapes, self help videotapes, right at the start. Yeah, um, and then that never comes back, does it? <laughs> like he he bought it, but even in two thousand and six, who was watching VHS? Um, but the guy was just on the cover. He had this like corduroy jacket and a turtleneck sweat, uh, just shrugging. Just like like an open mic, I did propose to like <laughs> the quote. Just uh, everything is okay, but if it is okay, then the film absolutely disregards that for the rest <laughs> of it. He does buy it though, weirdly enough, because um, at some point where he's in that tavern later on, where he's staying, yeah. he's like, like has someone been through my suitcase? My videotape's not there, so. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why. yeah, one of us stole it to play on our fucking wooden VHS machine. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a TV. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. But I also noticed in that scene at the beginning, A, the other policeman was smoking. What a time to be alive. You could smoke <laughs> and buy VHSs in diners. What a treat. And also, <laughs> Nicolas Cage was wearing this really thick, like, glamorous leather jacket with just, like, a police badge stuck to it. Like the other policeman wasn't dressed like that. He was wearing like a no. normal policeman. If you go back, Nicolas Cage is wearing like like an honestly like a Marlon Brando style leather jacket. <laughs> and it's not, not uniform. <laughs> it can't be. It just makes me think like if he was just doubling up on costumes because like the films, the films this was intersected between in terms of release. Like before this... Um, a film about the World Trade Center, which he was in. The film after this was Ghost Rider. What a succession of three films to be in. Honestly, watching the first bit, I thought he just wants to ride a motorbike. That's all it is. He's just written, <laughs> he's just put that in the film so he can ride a motorbike. Because there's just long shots of him like riding this like old police motorbike along like empty roads. And I thought that he just wanted to do that. And if, it's, if the next film he did was Ghost Rider, <laughs> he probably just went, you know what? I'm really into riding motorbikes. Let's let's just base my next few films around opportunities to ride different motorbikes. Well, I, I swear he seems to make um, films in sort of sort of like themes almost. Because in the eighties, he made a lot of sort of almost dramatic romantic films. Um, more recently, he's doing a lot of sort of new wave horror kind of stuff and really sort of finding his edge again. I don't know if you've seen like Mandy or um, Color Out of Space. Genuinely really good films yeah, i've seen a couple of recent good cage films i can't remember i think mandy might be the one that i've seen but yeah yeah i mean i genuinely think he's capable of making really good films and because he acts in such a weird way he's always going to make slightly more uh uh kind of special films like you don't really get like a cookie cutter uh nicholas cage film as although you could get nicholas cage films which are similar to each other but they're not similar to any other films because he's in them. Uh, so I think he's excellent, but there, there is such, so many films that you can tell he was just out of his mind. And, went, <laughs> <laughs> and Wicker Man is one of those films. I read that it was dedicated to Johnny Ramone. Yes. The Ramones, because he showed him the film. Which yes. is another really weird point, because if he's like Francis Ford Coppola's nephew and so into cinema, why did he need Johnny Ramone from the Ramones to show him the Wicker Man? <laughs> what conversation was that? Where he was like, why were they hanging out? Why were they looking for a movie to watch? 
I've got more questions and answers about this film, really. But <laughs> it's like I I also read that, and then I kind of put it to the back of my mind. Sort of two hours passes, and then as soon as the credits hit, dedicated to Johnny Ramone, and I started laughing because I was like, "What an insult! <laughs> what a film yeah, to be dedicated to your Ramone." <laughs> <laughs> I've always been more of a Joey man. I knew this wasn't going to turn out well. So, <laughs> it's just from start to finish, though. I mean, knowing that it's dedicated to a Ramon is just one thing. But um, obviously, you won't be surprised that the film didn't make a profit at uh, at box office because it seemed uh, budget. So you'd have thought it might have made even. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't far off, actually. Uh, but what if you didn't know, what would your guess have been the budget of this film? Oh, man. I'm going to say it's totally shit number because I don't, I don't have a good enough understanding of how much movies cost to make. But I'm going to say they spent £10 million. Times it by four, $40 million went into this. Yeah, well, no, that's the exchange rate, actually. I think you'll find I'm right. <laughs> $40 million, yeah, that's what I meant. You want me to say it in dollars? All right, fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the fact check in post. Um, <laughs> but only made $38 million, so it was, in grand scheme of box office, actually really close to breaking even. Yeah. And, now, <laughs> and now I've given this film £7 to own it forever, digitally. Probably made it back in the time in between. I mean, honestly, if I was a... If I was a Hollywood studio exec, and I only lost two million pounds in a Nicolas Cage film. I'd think, yeah, great, good, we got away with that one. <laughs> Wonderful. I think this is part of the joy of having your own production company because you can just swing your dick and just make things happen. Yeah, and which is yeah, love to. <laughs> which is what I, I genuinely think he does. I mean, there are some. I don't even know if choices are the right word, but just elements of this film. Obviously, we're talking about him riding the bike at the start. The the context of that is that he um, gives the doll back to this uh, mother and her daughter, like, oh, we're really sorry, we're just moving. Um, the daughter just throws the doll out again. Uh, suddenly, yeah, the car... Really confused me. Because why did she yeah. do that? And then it's that's just... never really explained why she's just looking at him. Is he crazy? Did that happen? This is the thing we, the way the film progresses, and he keeps remembering things, but now they keeps getting altered. Like now, there's no family. Now there's no girl. Now there's bees in the car. We don't yeah. know what actually happened. All we know is that the car got plowed by this huge, like eighteen wheeler. Um, then he tries to break down the back window, just punches through it. Um, now the window's still there, still can cause a lot of damage. He's asking the girl to crawl through yeah, he's this. He got his arm through like a jagged hole of like rear windscreen. He's like, "Grab my hand," and she doesn't want to. And the part of me is like, "Yeah, God, make the hole bigger." <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, I understand that time is a uh, pressing matter here, but no one's getting through that. You've not done. You need to do more. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? You want to hurt her? You I just understand. Want to she explodes. That's <laughs> gross. So I understand you're a beat cop, but surely, <laughs> come on. Yeah, it's so odd. I think partly the reason for feeling so disappointed at the end of it for some people is that they do do that of like breadcrumbing things throughout the film where you're like, oh, I, 
wonder how they're going to resolve that that girl in the back of the car and what that was all about and was that real and all of these questions and then you get towards the end of the film and you go like they're just not gonna they're just leaving it aren't they <laughs> <They're> just leaving <laughs> it so, well, I, hope, so I hope the Ramones enjoyed it at least <laughs> well, Johnny Ramone actually loved it that's the thing it's good <laughs> Well, there's that plot thread when he's looking for um, the missing girl um, that he keeps seeing these visions of other girls that are dressed exactly the same, look exactly the same. He hears this girl. You never know if it's real or not. All we know is that he's, after this car at the start has exploded and he's off sick, basically, to go to this island. He should be resting, um, but he's gone to this island. He's not He's mentally not well, and I say that with the greatest of respect. Um, Continuously, when he's on the ferry there, and at different points in the film, he just either dreams or flashes back to the moment, and he keeps seeing the girl just getting hit by the truck. Now by a truck. (laughs) The first time on the ferry, it's like, oh, is that the girl? And and then that caught me so off guard that I had to pause because I was just convulsing. I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? No, but I remember that bit. And what's funny is, considering how much he hams it up in other bits of the films, after that, he just sort of goes, and just looks down. (laughs) From the the man who, like, screamed and recoiled from, like, a phone with no one on the end of it. He saw a a girl hit by a truck in his own mind and went, ugh. (laughs) He just (laughs) shrugged it off. Smallest (laughs) movement. It's the smallest movement he makes in the entire film. He wasn't. He wasn't affected by it at all. Like my my notes at this point is like we're over ten minutes, and a girl has been hit by a truck twice. Fuck me, and that was all caps. <laughs> and I can't, like I can. I sort of understand that maybe they were going uh, to play maybe on some elements of the psychological. Like, is it real? Is this all in his head? None of that comes through whatsoever. But that's the thing, because they seem like they're trying to show that he's plagued by, like, traumatic memories. But then, narratively, that's not relevant to anything that he does. No. <laughs> that's just that's no. just the thing about him. He's traumatised. <laughs> and then, otherwise, he just goes about on an investigative mission that could be done by someone who's not traumatised. <laughs> It's like I get sometimes there's a thing that um, TV shows, Hollywood, cops have to have uh, an edge. They've got to have an angle of some description. Yeah. His was that I think he might not be okay, but it never comes <laughs> up except just when they force these flashbacks. These are just increasingly weird flashbacks of a girl getting hit by a poorly edited, very flat truck. <laughs> that is not. It's just, it's just constant. <laughs> I think she gets hit by that truck from the start, doing the flashbacks about five different times. That poor, poor girl. Um, Good then, job, though. Probably a few days, a different film and on different sets. I mean, from the actor's point of view, that's what you want, really, is to be a bit part character. They only see the back of your head, and you, but you get to do it in like eight different locations because then you get paid eight times. Smart and, that, and that's an acting fact. So I, I imagine that she was probably presented the script maybe like with with parents, with an agent. They're like, uh, we're just going to see the back of your head and you're just going to get absolutely demolished by a truck a few times. And then potentially a parent said, where do we, where do we sign? 
that's, that's they the said, role who's I want. the lead in this movie and they said Nicolas Cage and then they said where do we sign <laughs> <laughs> this sounds brilliant do you have a pen right now let's make this thing happen don't worry um, I'll cut myself and do it with my blood <laughs> let's do it <laughs> I like I mean I've with that when you hear that Nicolas Cage is going to be in it I often ask myself sometimes how would I react if I saw Nicolas Cage in real life and I think it would be akin to um I think I said it before when like teenagers in the 60s saw the Beatles and they just dropped to their knees they couldn't handle it yeah. they just became emotive wrecks I feel I'd be exactly the same I wouldn't be okay I but, don't know how I'd react I think I might just be like shocked into silence almost I mean I'm sort of I've immediately remembered our friend Sam from university do you remember I'm almost certain he made this up he must have done but do you remember his story? He told me once that he met Brad Pitt. This rings a, this rings a bell. <laughs> he was saying, like, Brad Pitt, because he was from Hull. And I think, if I remember the story right, from years and years ago, Brad Pitt was filming a film in Hull, like, on the street, and there was a set. And Sam was just walking along the pavement, and Brad Pitt came out of a trailer, and Sam went, oh, no way, Brad Pitt. <laughs> and Brad Pitt went, hey man. <laughs> and I think that's what I'd, I'd just go, oh, Nicholas, hello. <laughs> and he'd be like, ha <laughs> and then do a backflip or something because he's a lunatic. Do you remember that story, though? <laughs> that, that's, that started to come back to me for some reason. It's, I just it remembered that like the other week. I've not spoken to Sam in so long, but I remembered that the other week and I swear he told me an anecdote about him meeting Brad Pitt where he said, Oh, no way, Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't know why that's tickled me so much, but I've thought about that once a day since I remembered it. <laughs> I mean, to, to be there, we have to sort of accept the idea that there's a very possible likelihood that Sam has bypassed security and just walked onto a set in Hull. <laughs> but I also remember being like 20 when he told me that story and being like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's true. I've definitely believed that. And now I'm remembering it. I'm going like, how is that true? <laughs> how is that? Did I get the city wrong? Was it in London? Why was Sam in London? <laughs> I just can't work it out. But it's I think about so. it constantly. Exactly. Like at the time, I don't think I had the, the recourse to question it because I entrusted him implicitly. But now time has gone by. I have questions and I want to re reopen this cold case. <laughs> I need to go back yeah, to that. I'm going to have time. to call him. Let's get, let, let's perform a pincer move on him. You call him right <laughs> now. <laughs> let's get him on. <laughs> I'll just shoot him a message right now and just see if he actually, <laughs> if he just gets back to us. Like, Did you actually meet Brad Pitt? Um, and I imagine <laughs> I'll be. I'll be left on red for quite some time. Um, that's obviously like going back to how I'd react. Like, I think I'd be emotional, but I think as well, in the back of my head, I just tried to tell myself, obviously celebrities, they're still just people. They, they still go to the shops. They oh, buy no. their bits. They he's frozen. go to the toilet. Um, oh, he's back. Sorry. There you are. There you are. <laughs> like, you've just been like, you froze on my screen, just biting your bottom lip. Like you're really into my story. It's like, yes, I've got him right in the palm of my hand. No, that was a technological glitch. I'm very bored. <laughs> like, yeah, but obviously try to remember they're just people as well, but I think he's one of the few people that I would just have to embarrass myself in front of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, even though he does have a house in Glastonbury, because of course he does. 
Yeah, of course he does. I don't know. I feel like I've always got this thing of trying not to embarrass myself in front of people. Maybe it's because I do stand-up. And when I started stand-up, I was a big stand-up comedy nerd fan. And then whenever I met a comedian that I admired, I'd have to like control myself because I'd be in the green room and stuff. And they're not really there to be asked for pictures and stuff, you know, because they're preparing for their set. And you want to seem like an equal and and stuff. So I've always kept it in check. But I did get, I went to a, a, a fancy TV party once not like a party where you watch TV. It was like ITV had a had a party, uh, yeah. and it was all it was all just ITV people. And obviously, I didn't know anyone. I wasn't allowed to bring anyone, so I just found a comedian I knew, and I was chatting to him. But every time a celebrity walked past, like Ross Kemp was there, Amazing. Robbie Williams was there, uh, all of the Chasers, <laughs> and Bradley. <laughs> the whole set. Yeah, but I, there were so many famous people, and the only person I got talking to um, was just a guy who presents like horse racing on ITV. I, I've still to this day never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if I'd been more of a fanboy, I could have made friends with Anne Hegarty from The Chase, because that's one of my main ambitions. She seems fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Nicolas Cage, not sure I'd be bothered. I'd probably just hold it in. Anne, though. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's a different podcast, the uh, the Chaser podcast. I had a friend yeah. of mine like <laughs> I about specifically am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget about the Dark Destroyer. Actually, two things. There's a friend of mine whose nephew apparently is a huge fan of the Chase. Is only about like four or five, but for some reason he refuses to go to sleep unless it's with his framed signed picture of the Dark Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> of all the chases to be into as well. That's so funny. That's great. Which I, I can't. Uh, my friend was actually on the chase m- maybe 10 or so years ago before I went to uni. Um, and to this day, like, I had a question, uh, which was like, which one of these words would you associate Sweden? Um, and the answer was smorgasbord, which I would like to think most people could take an educated guess at. Um, but you're saying that like I... Uh, I feel like I have a, a good affinity with this uh, word. Didn't pick a smorgasbord, basically. Hugely embarrassing. Um, and then the, the comments yeah. on Twitter were not kind. Um, but that- no, there's, a, there's a comedian I know who's been on the chase. Well, there's two, actually. Maisie Adam has been on the chase. Yes. Um, and do you know Will Duggan? Yes, yes, yes. The, uh- Will was very funny and nice. But every time I meet Will, I just play by play talk to him about his episode of the chase because it was brilliant right will gets back he beats the chaser everyone else gets knocked out and then it's this like 19 year old lad is the last guy and he takes the big offer uh because he's just like you know what you're only here once i came here to impress my mates big money and then he gets back with the big money and then will and this lad are playing for like 50 grand uh, but they lost. But every time he tries to talk to me about comedy or gigs or, or anything useful to either of us, I, I divert it hard back to the chase because <laughs> how impressive is that? That's brilliant. I'm not, I'm, with all respect, I'm not interested about your new hour. I want to talk about the chase again. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever do see him at a gig, I'm going to heckle him. Just talk about the chase. <laughs> Don't do stand up about it. Just tell us what was the day like? Is Bradley nice? <laughs> Oh, amazing. I mean, even now, I, I will go on about bargain at the first possible opportunity, but it's oh, not, yeah. it's I'm not, not about sure me. I've even talked to you since you're on bargain hunt. That's so impressive. 
honestly, I was I was telling everyone about it. I, I specifically got home to watch it live. <laughs> <laughs> you won as well, didn't you? Uh, I won with a grand total of minus nineteen pounds. Hey, there you go. What was your biggest loser? Um, me. <laughs> fin- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Financially yeah. speaking, um, we bought a picture frame with two, like five seconds left, and I'd stress this isn't edited TV time. This is an actual hour off camera. There was a man in uh, a, a burly Welsh man in a gilet and combat shorts going. You've got 45 minutes just showing us the stopwatch. He never talked about anything else other than the time. Um, so we're just running around trying to act like we know what we're doing. We're just trying to make for what we think is entertaining TV. Um, we panic by a picture frame. That makes a loss because they're brilliant. You've got to buy certain items. One of them was a medical item. Couldn't find one. So we just bought a bottle that looks a bit medicinal. Made a loss. <laughs> And then you, ha- you also have to buy an item that's £75 or over because basically the directors were tired of people going just small. Five things, yeah. It just yeah, wasn't, it. Just wasn't ent- entertaining TV. So we bought a really nice 1930s poker set, which we got from like £120 down to £117, courtesy of your boy that's haggling. Not, that is not a haggle. I thought you were going to say such a lower number. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have even bragged about the price. I'd have just said 120. <laughs> if anything, it's more embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, haggled three quid off. No, yeah. So, so how did that do? <laughs> loss. But the the most important thing is um, that the haggle did happen, even though it's a minuscule haggle. The kind of humiliating thing was they made us film my handshake with the guy like three different times. So I just had to keep like I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> It's like, I hope you have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder what the people selling things on Bargain Hunt are thinking. Because if I was them, I'd just be like, oh, they're filming Bargain Hunt. Cool. Uh, but, like, they never big themselves up. You know, like, if I, I would imagine, like, an enterprising stall salesman would be like, hello, yes, you can have a good deal here at my market stall every Sunday on this. But they're always, they always seem pissed off to be spoken to. <laughs> um, because they are is the yeah. genuine story because they, they tend to film in the same places numerous times just because that's where the market stalls happen to be and they can yeah. film multiple episodes in a week. Um, the, the same stall traders are so used to it and having people just peruse their items and not buy anything that they're so pissed off <laughs> that they just tell us to go away and get really angry. There was, there was one guy at the end we got the picture frame from he was very adamant. He was like, I don't want you filming me. If we're going to talk, it's going to be off camera. I was like, I think I'm going to get stabbed with an ornament. It was real high stakes. <laughs> that does sound unpleasant. Oh, I always hoped there was just kind of like a, a pleasant atmosphere behind the weird looks. But no, good to know it's, it's unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, hor- horrible experience, what I'd say. But may I say the green room, as much carton juice as you could possibly muster. Incredible. Wow. Freddo's and orange juice cartons. Freddo's Cur- and orange juice cartons. Sick. Courtesy of the really BBC. Um, <laughs> speaking of refreshments, see what I did here. Uh, when Cage goes into the tavern, right? <laughs> I almost forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, when he goes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might just start a Patreon just to discuss bargain hunt with guests. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be your Cleveland show. That's your spinner. <laughs> <laughs> Cancelled after like only a one one pound subscription. Yeah. Um, 
this this goes back to what we were saying earlier of him being nothing but a dick to people and there was part of me that thought i kind of think in a way 50 percent of him deserves to end up in that wicker man at the end because um, <laughs> he goes in he's just really awful to sister beach um, he sees Willow, who is his ex, who's invited him to the island. Just like, oh, I can't really talk. We'll talk later. Um, and then he just says to her, um, oh, can I just get whatever you've got to drink as long as I'm not intruding? And he makes a big deal about it. And just like... Uh, yeah, he's such yeah. an arse the entire time. It like it reminded me of that. Have you seen Midsommar? Is that how you say it? Uh, I've not seen it, but I know exactly the film. It's great. Well, it's, it's great. It's just like a really weird pagany island sort of retreat thing um and it's got a similar vibe but like in midsummer everyone's like respectful of like oh there's this community and they do things differently that's cool let's learn about it whereas nicholas cage walks into this like community and goes like shut the fuck up <laughs> do what i'm saying i'm the policeman from a completely different part of the country <laughs> <laughs> Like, they make a point and say, like, look, you've got your rules, we've got ours. And, it, and I think there has to be like a drinking game for the Wicker Man. The number of times he reminds people that he is an officer and will arrest <laughs> them on trumped up charges at a exactly. moment's notice. Um, <laughs> like, he crushes the bee, which is the first big no no. Like, admittedly, the only through line is like, I'm allergic to bees. But they're like, that's literally our biggest resource here is honey. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, it? it makes a horrible impression the whole Rude. way through. I think that is what impacts it as well because it becomes less creepy that they're cold towards him. You know, yeah. like if he was being really nice and trying, and they were just turning this cold shoulder in a kind of psychopathy way, you'd be like, "Ooh, something's wrong there." But he's really rude to everyone, and then they're really rude to him, and you just feel like you're watching just someone who's not good at traveling. that's all it is it's like Michael Palin if he was a dick just getting to different islands and being like "All right, dickheads get out of the way (laughs) I mean he's obviously he did the research on the island at the start he clearly searched it on a web browser and there's information about the island it's not that it's entirely inaccessible in different respects but he's looked it up um for some reason, obviously knowing nothing about the island, he clicked immediately on the B portion of the website. <laughs> As if it's like, oh, that might be useful to know. And then still get surprised when the island is full of bees. Yeah, he, he couldn't, the exposition couldn't have been clearer that he knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> this, it could have been really no easy excuse. to believe that he didn't know, <laughs> except for they made it quite clear he knew. I mean, he... He definitely knew one of the biggest sort of head-scratching moments, and there's a lot in this film, but certainly in terms of him as a character and how he acts. Now, there's not really any character progression or arc for him here, so to speak, except he gets increasingly confused and ergo angry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The last half an hour. Oh, what a ride. But um, before he meets uh, Sister Summer's Isle, sort of the the matriarch of the island, he's... um, walking his bike through where they clearly do all their bee farming they've even got sort of hives cut into grass like you can't be confused about where you are there's hives everywhere but then he somehow manages to pick the only hive in in view 
walk into it with his bike and then he just gets attacked by bees. I don't know how you missed that. <laughs> but once again, it's just, it's a film about someone who's not good at traveling, you know? <laughs> like, like it's like the Inbetweeners movie. It's like he's in Mallorca and he's just like, whoa, he's fallen over. Like it's, <laughs> he's just failing to sort of do the basics on the place that he's in. It's great. <laughs> The only sort of prep he has is that he's got his um, conveniently bee-coloured EpiPens, so there's no mistaking exactly what they're for. Um, and then he, get, he gets rescued by the doctor after he's been stung, and then he wakes up with all these, like, sting marks on him, and he's like, did you use my EpiPen? She's like, no, we saved you the traditional way. And I was curious, I was like, well, what's that then? Never explained. Yeah, never explained, yeah. Oh, we, no, we have a cure for that. Not telling you what it is. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Great. Brilliant. <laughs> to be fair, though, if I think if I was a physician and I'm um, obligated to save people, that's literally what my life's work is. But if I also knew that he had been a dick, I was like, no, but like, I was going to tell you. We've got pamphlets and everything, but nah. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy to not let you know how we operate here. But they're also must all be aware that they're just keeping him alive for now so that they can do the thing to him like so <laughs> they can like everyone on the island seems to be aware of what they're eventually going to do so what's the doctor like don't as long as it's not in the middle of the night you know <laughs> like, she, like she must not have gone out of her way to save him <laughs> at most i deal with bee stings um but she's also the photographer of the island as well she does a lot wow big member of the well, there's all those black and white photos in the tavern um, and he sort of points out, oh, there's one missing. And they're just like, oh, yeah, that's the uh, whew, the festival. We don't we don't talk about that one. And he's like, oh, OK. It's <laughs> like, fine. It's like, yeah, but also, why did you put the picture up in the first place? <laughs> oh, that's that's the that's the thing we don't talk about. So we, we don't have a picture for that. Well, no, you do. <laughs> At what yes, point I, did they take it down? <laughs> we like to leave but clues around, just in, just for travellers. But there's loads of, like, there are, like, child-level clues. Like, when he goes to the school and he checks the register for the girl he's looking for and he just goes back a few days and her name's there, but crossed out, but still really <laughs> visibly her name. And he's like, oh, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, no. <laughs> that was just given to you on a plate. <laughs> It's like I would expect that level of clue in your um, entry level escape room. Yeah. That, like anyone would have found that. Yeah, because, exactly. Like, but that's like, the thing is, he's not being a detective. Like there's no, there's no great like inter He's not like Sherlock Holmes walks in and goes like, there's dust on her coat. That means she's been outside. She just, <laughs> he just walks into rooms. He's really rude to everyone. And then he just falls over a really significant clue and goes, oh, clue. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that whole scene in the, uh, in the little um, sort of building for the school where he just bursts in. He's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to deliver a lesson. It's like, I'm a cop. Look at this picture. Have you seen this girl? And quite rightly, the girls are like, um, I don't know if we should talk to you. Just yeah, flashes right. his badge in their face. Uh, they have like a, a crow or a raven they just lock in one of the desks for some reason as well. 
Why he, not? Yeah. It's like, oh, why is that in there? It's like, nah, not a lot to do. Creep you out, yeah. <laughs> we keep crows in desks and the eventuality that people do come to the island and kick off like this, you never know. We're more prepared than you think. Also, you'd imagine that uh, a, a class full of entirely girls on a provincial island would be taught to not talk to strangers or be close to them. And I would imagine also that if you were going into schools to teach people the sort of strangers they shouldn't talk to, you could quite easily use a picture of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> be like, this is 100% the sort of guy you shouldn't let take you for drives, you know? <laughs> if he bursts into your classroom and demands to look in your desk, just don't make eye contact, all right? <laughs> he will leave. Just keep your head down and get your desk crows at the ready because he will come over to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everyone ready Don't for a crow cage drill alright <laughs> right after the gun drill <laughs> guns, crows they've got it all sorted out I think the most accurate thing is when he finally um, gets to talk to the teacher outside now first of all he's just disrespectful about her name because there's a few plant based names he just goes and she says oh my name is Rose he goes oh of course another plant like one <laughs> What a horrible thing to say when you've already disrupted this person's lesson. And then she tries to um, hint that, oh, look, um, she doesn't exist. Well, she's died. It was an accident. Like, she's been burned to death. We've already buried her. We don't really talk about it. Just leave it. The most accurate thing Cage says all film is, and I quote, I don't understand. <laughs> um, then he... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I love that. Oh, great. Another plant line. Because I was looking at, I looked at like the quotes on, um, on the internet of like, what did they pick out for quotes from Wicker Man? And they are literally all sentences shouted by Nicolas Cage. They're all like <laughs> eight words long with an exclamation mark at the end. And it's all like, oh, great. Another plant. Oh, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> shouting, what's in the bag? <laughs> it's great. Really, really sad. Um, he, so everyone, obviously, throughout the film, just except for Willow, basically just denies that Rowan ever existed. Um, and then we get that reveal from Willow later on that, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, she is your daughter. And he's like, oh, and he just accepts it. Yeah, but also, is that a reveal? Because film-wise... He's, that's the only woman he knows. It's already set up like, oh, my, my fiance, who I was very close with, that disappeared. And you, do, and you have a daughter. Well, I'm sure I'm not connected to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost when they reveal that, you're like, that wasn't revealed before? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel Surely. like they would he probably would have got the reveal that Rome was his daughter a lot earlier, but the first two or three times he actually gets to speak with Willow, he just shouts at her, just bringing up all this dirt from the past. Like he's yeah, made exactly. it clear that it's her fault. She left. She just abandoned. He's gone like, nah, I think we're at different places in our life. He's like, was it another man? Was it another man? What the fuck do you want? Why me? But also, and this is this is a pertinent question for him to ask, both both as a detective and as an ex-lover. All he needed to ask is how old is she? And then he would have gone, <laughs> Oh, that exactly lines up with the years when we were sexually active together. And he's yeah. literally looking for her. 
<laughs> and he's not asked how old she is. <laughs> he doesn't. You might be looking for like a four-year-old. He might be looking for for a fifteen-year-old. He literally hasn't asked. <laughs> no, he, they <laughs> they do come into a room at one point, and she's like. Yeah, this is where sort of Rowan um, studies and she's trying to sort of sweetly reminisce and try and bring something nice about her missing daughter. And he's like, when was the last time you saw her? What was she doing? It's like, can you not be nice for like one minute? I'm having yeah. a really hard time. <laughs> well, yeah, he has no compassion whatsoever. He's a, he's a whirling dervish of uh, impertinent questions. He's amazing. <laughs> I also noticed at the end, I only noticed watching it back this time before before we spoke. And I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too far. No, please but do. At the end, with the bees bit, right before they do the bees bit, they break both of his legs yeah. one at a time with a sledgehammer. And if anything, he undersells it, which is <laughs> unbelievable considering how hard he hits the bees bit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because they break both of his legs and then they sit him up to put the bees on him and if anything he's like oh no don't <laughs> and you're like you've, you've just had both of your legs shattered and he screams when it happens and then afterwards he's just a bit like ah oh, oh, what's next <laughs> that was the worst part of it surely I mean um, he he gets the big, uh, obviously the, the the wooden wicker cage, and then there's the distinctive telltale sound of buzzing. To which he asks, "What is that? What is that? Are ah, the bees? The bees? They're in my eyes." And my quote here was, "He said, and I quote, raggle, 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 as they all got into his mouth and on his face." But what I love in that scene is you can see loads of extras in it as well. You know, it's not just some of it's a really tight close up, but some of it's more of a like uh, shoulders with like people in the background. And for those actors, just like like extras who've been just dressed up like like German peasants from the Middle Ages (laughs) and they're just watching Nicolas Cage. And they must have done so many takes of that. And you'd imagine he did it at different levels of intensity. <laughs> so imagine that day just stood just over Nicolas Cage's shoulder, just watching him violently gargle CGI bees. <laughs> <laughs> Horrific. Imagine at this point, because he undersells the legs a little bit, like you say, they probably said, we're burning daylight, Nick. We need to get this leg thing in one take. And he's like, ah, don't move me. <laughs> yeah, but that is exactly don't move me <laughs> but, that, but your legs have been shattered and he stopped screaming after like a couple of seconds in order to get the rest of the dialogue out <laughs> I mean obviously they've got they've got all the people dressed in the background as it's a German peasants but Sister Summersile who's leading the procession she's dressed like Braveheart at Glastonbury she's got yeah, the white and blue face paint, paint. <laughs> yeah She's like really gone all out for this. Got sort of like the the gown on as well, sort of the the wig. Um, she's yeah, I mean, really she committed. Fantastic. There's there's also a funny bit where just before they break his legs, he's he's shouting like, "I don't even believe in your god," as if they're going to be like, "Hang on, what? Stop it! <laughs> Stop everything! God, sorry, you have to believe in him." I've embarrassed myself actually. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, everyone. He's just—he just said the safe word. We can't. Oh, I'm sorry. This man's a genius. Never mind. <laughs> Let's get him you back on the seat. Leaving him. Send him over. 
like we're really sorry the uh, the seaplane's busted and the pilot's dead, but we can point you in the direction of the beach um, yeah. <laughs> if if you need it. Um, I mean, just I mean, as I was saying earlier, just the last half an hour of this film, what an ordeal! I mean, and I mean that in the best way. What a, what a succession of events that do not yield. I mean, first of all, he digs up the um, supposed grave of ruin, gets the burnt doll. Um, he's swimming in an underground crypt that he's locked in and sort of stays in there for about twelve hours. Yeah, that'd uh, be something. Yeah, there's a there's a statue of Jesus. When it when it was previously locked, it was just unlocked when he gets there. Great. Don't ask questions <laughs> about that. Bellend. Come on. It's like, it's like the worst sort of like polistic trap. Like they've just put a salmon, just put a wet red cardigan. It's like she was here. She was definitely here. It's like not necessarily. Yeah, isn't it? Are you and sure he, you're not being tricked, you genius? <laughs> he swims under the under the crypt and sees like a statue of Jesus, maybe. Um, it's like, yep, that's all I need to see. Let's go back up. Like, there was no relevance to that statue that I could muster to in my mind at all. Um, but also, they they trap him in that underwater crypt bit until the morning, I guess, to like tire him out or something. But but the plan's so well actually. Whoever thought of the plan was great, but I don't know who thought. Yeah, and then once he's underground, he'll probably just get in the underwater crypt. <laughs> if, I, if I went there, I would be like, oh, this crypt's underwater. Never mind. <laughs> We're not getting in it because I'm not a lunatic. It's like, for one, I'm dressed very formally. I don't have the apparatus to make this trip. And now that I'm going to come back, I'm going to just put this one down to what could have been. And I'm going to go back to Willow and tell her what I found out. That's the other point. He's wearing a suit the whole time. You know, you're on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Wear some shorts. You, know? <laughs> you, you knew there's going to be bees. You knew what the weather was going to be. You've not prepared in any way, shape, or form. He's got dress shoes on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's not even the first time he dives into the water where he's um, he's waiting for the pilot for the seaplane, and then he has that vision of Rowan under the dock under this grate. He does a wonderful 180 dive in. Uh, sort of rescues her, but then it's just a corpse, and then he wakes up, and it's another corpse. So he has two terrifying dreams within dreams. And it's just like, oh, I, I should, I shouldn't leave. <laughs> I mean, he is, yeah. As we've established, he's he's traumatized constantly. <laughs> that's the explanation. That's the only explanation for his behavior is that he's lost all sense of how he should behave around other people and he's just become a screaming lunatic <laughs> he was in a city he'd have been arrested for just like being a nuisance you know that like he's the only form of police that island has ever seen i think and obviously being a lunatic when he starts questioning how does it get burned with the burnt doll we never find out if that's got any real relevance just a hint like oh that's gonna be you wink wink and then he just runs around uh looking for sister summer's isle sees a very badly stung man in bed, which I, I think is a, a kink thing for Sister Summer's Isle. Yeah, um, there seems to be a weird, like, subservient... There, there's a few nods to it being sexual, with the, the women running everything and the men just being sex slaves. And yeah. Sense, I'm on board with it. <laughs> <laughs> I know where my place in the food chain is, and I'm a, I'm a certified cook, and I'll tell anyone who asks. Um, they, I think it's... <laughs> I think all the men are meant to be just name. certified cook 105. Change your handle. 
that's where I've been going wrong with the follows. Um, I think what you said that there's this whole thing of the uh, of the men being subservient and they're just like the worker bees, basically. Um, yeah. he, he tries to help them with the logs and they're just not into it. He tries to rally them at the end and they're just like, they don't talk, like they've had their tongues cut out or something. It's like, just no, we like we we move logs and we fuck. That's literally all we do. We're very happy. We've got a good thing going on. Yeah, that messes up. <laughs> <laughs> we're not okay, but we're also, we've made peace with that many, many cycles ago, many festivals ago. We don't want to get burned. Um, and then he... so many loud men get burned before you decide to be quiet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just take our example, honestly. You're going to really thank us for this in like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're quite annoying. Leave us alone. Um, obviously saying that he's not okay that he's running around he's kicking doors down he kicks down the door um, to this house and he's just uh, screaming at this uh, mother of three children she's like you can't be here and he just screams at her no I don't have any permission you have my permission to stay out of the fucking way (laughs) that's when he truly just loses it in a woman's house as well (laughs) not even in (laughs) He went into the house to do that. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate you can't get signal on your flip phone, but also, importantly, you don't have a warrant or any basis to be kicking down doors at your at your discretion. This isn't okay. This is also, as, as a traffic policeman, I think bare minimum training he would have is like uh, a conflict de-escalation, <laughs> which is the... <laughs> The one thing he seems fundamentally incapable of doing. He's, he's the antithesis of a de-escalating conflict. <laughs> he creates it in every room he enters. You can definitely tell that as a cop, at one point, maybe more than one, he was definitely asked to go on a sensitivity course, and through the whole thing, he just rolled his eyes and turned like, oh. <laughs> I mean, imagine being pulled over by a policeman who's that confrontational. <laughs> Show me your fucking license. Don't look at me in the eyes. This is my car now. Move over. (laughs) (laughs) You're now my wife and this is my family. Let's go for a burger. Like, I guess this is happening. I understand, even though it was just a massive... That is such a cuck way to react to that. (laughs) 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 I'll just get out of the car, shall I? Well, enjoy my family. Thank you very much. I love you all well. Thank you forever, boy. (laughs) Just Cage just drives away with everything you've built in life. There's a deeply repressed part of me that knows that that's how I would react in that situation. It's like he's he's got the gun. <laughs> I'd just go back to that diner and get the self-help tapes. <laughs> how do you think he's uh, he's getting on with my kids? Do you think they're getting on well? <laughs> um, I I think he's instilled some discipline. That's always good, right? I have these self-help tapes now, so win-win. <laughs> Um, yeah, but he will take those from you as well. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have these. Um, then he's, well, then he's, he's kicking the doors down. He's ripping the masks off the children's head as well, which I'm sure is assault. It's like, at least the papa. <laughs> Come on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that <laughs> pause in. <laughs> I'm leaving that pause in. Um, <laughs> I want you to, I want you to make it longer. <laughs> I'll see what I can do in the edit. I'll have the unedited version where it's about 10 minutes. Director's cut. <laughs> Three hours. Um, so he finally gets around to rescuing Rowan. At this point, he's already 
right hooked uh, Sister Beach and knocked her out. He just Good walks. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if we're judging it on jabs alone, um, sans context, excellent. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They've just been cackling about killing the sea pilot, and he walks down. Um, good night. How, how's it? Like, good night. It's over. You're down. Then the same um, tavern worker, the barkeep, I'm not really sure what profession is, um, but she'd asked him earlier in the film, is like, if you're getting off this island, please take me with you. She's then like, uh, about that, then tries to assault him as well. Um, takes a jab and a kick into the pictures for her troubles. And then she gets, I don't know if you know, she does that really weird face where she like, she wasn't sure if she was supposed to be unconscious or have her eyes closed or something. I, d- I didn't remember in that detail. I'll be honest. I faded out for a good 20 minutes near the end. <laughs> a hard film to watch. <laughs> I've seen it a lot. <laughs> Understandable, entirely understandable. Um, he gets dressed but, as a bear. Yeah, I mean the bear punch, of course, is is uh, I think up there with you know most Bruce Lee kind of sequences. You know, <laughs> Jackie Chan would be proud. What I enjoyed about his time as the bear is not only there's obviously everyone on the island is in a long line, everyone's accounted for, and then a bear just runs out of the forest, joins the line, and everyone's probably thinking. That's definitely the cop. He's the only person who's not here. <laughs> There's no way yeah. that's not the cop. Well, like, uh, why is the bear late? <laughs> <laughs> the bear's really important to this whole thing. Well, like, I know that bear. She's always on time. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's a lot to be suspicious about. <laughs> then he just in front of everyone just pulls off his like face mesh. It's like to Willow, it's me. And she's like, Yeah, probably. <laughs> There's no way it wasn't you. Um, what was the lack of respect he has for anyone's ability to like catch him or harm him he he just punches everyone and runs around dressed as a bear just (laughs) seemingly under the impression that nothing bad can happen to him despite (laughs) being completely tortured by memories of bad things happening to him I think psychologists call this really acting out (laughs) that's a lot of trauma to deal with um, he, I think he saves Rowan. He obviously knocks that woman out um, who's going to, it looks like stab her because she's trying to get the tree or set her on fire. And then they run away through the woods. Um, and I noticed as well that he takes the bear costume off, but he actually leaves the bare feet on. <laughs> I'd noticed that. <laughs> he did. Oh, there's a new thing every time you watch it. <laughs> I don't know if he still had them on by the time he was getting his legs broken at the end, but for a few minutes, he was running around in bare shoes. He was, start- <laughs> he was starting to feel it. I like to That's think. Another thing like the motorbike, though, where he was like, bare shoes, yeah. <laughs> what were those in movies? <laughs> and he just starts wearing bare shoes all the time. Explosions, bees, bears, make it happen. <laughs> and it did. Oh, what a man. What a vision. I mean, I like to think for Rowan, though, um, irrespective of if she was in the plan or not, which she was, what a psychologically damaging day for her. What a lot to process. <laughs> <laughs> I <What>? said, <laughs> so good news and bad news. Um, but also, and- that's the thing, because they kill the pilot. Because I was always thinking, like, well, I guess they don't kill... They kill him and... They kill Nicolas Cage and not the pilot because 
the pilot brings them all the stuff, but they kill both of them, which raises the question when they needed a sacrifice, why they didn't just sacrifice the, the plane guy? Because he makes regular visits. There was <laughs> no need. No. <laughs> He had his eyes sewed, his mouth sewed. He had like wicker sticks put into his stump because they cut his hand off because yeah. reasons. I think the only reason is because um, it's like, oh, the, the, the pilot guy brought me to the island. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, him. We'll have to deal with him later. And they did. Um, yeah, but, but if they're so willing to kill him at any time. <laughs> they could have, yeah, could have killed him at any time, but didn't. I think they said they, 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 they kill... Nicholas Cage because he's got the blood tie to the island because he's is the daughter, so it's such a long game oh, yeah, they've played long, yeah. just That's in the eventuality that a festival or a harvest went to shit, and then the year before they must have been like, oh shit, like Willow, you've got to, we've actually got to do the thing. Who'd have thought? <laughs> you still got his number, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, awesome. Let's get him and let's um, everyone positions. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a film that holds up to scrutiny or casual viewing. <laughs> <laughs> consensus, it doesn't quite even get there. Uh, consensus is, yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to watch a Nicolas Cage film, I'd strongly recommend you watch The Wicker Man, in the sense that it is a Nicolas Cage. It's a very Cage film. The amount of exclamations and overactings and sillinesses in it, it's it's I think it's really good representation of the genre. But if you want to watch like a good film, you should absolutely not watch it. <laughs> well, that sort of succinctly um sort of brings me to obviously we've had a lovely discussion about the Wicker Man. Um I I feel I don't believe this is your first time actually watching it. You've uh, you've done you've served time, you've served hard time on Summer's Isle. Do you, do you want to talk about the, the other time I watched it? Because I thought this might. I thought this might come up. Um, well, I wasn't sure whether to mention it or not. But effectively, I I ruined a, a potential romantic situation for you when we were at university by being a loudmouth, and I wanted to make up for it by making you something, making you like a gift. And we'd bonded over Nicolas Cage so much that I thought I yeah. would edit out. Um, I would go through the film and I would edit out every frame that didn't have Nicolas Cage in it. And what I didn't realise at the time was that it would take me like three days. So <laughs> you were very, very upset with me for days. And I didn't say anything to you because I was busy working on this gift when maybe I could have just talked to you. <laughs> instead, the toxic masculinity in me went, no, don't tell him you're sorry. Spend three days making something weird that I'm almost sure you never watched. <laughs> then, but the funniest thing was that with every frame that wasn't Nicolas Cage cut out of it, it was still about 55 minutes to an hour long, which is testament to how cagey this film is. <laughs> it's almost exclusively him in shot constantly. It's impressive. <laughs> And that's what I learned from dedicating that time to that. <laughs> and you should have been doing your dissertation. You were in a very critical period of your third year. Oh, mate, we studied comedy writing and performance at a former polytechnic. <laughs> it was <laughs> not important. <laughs> and now, spoiler, that course doesn't exist. But I continued while we were doing it. <laughs> hey. I remember at my graduation, our... Um, 
the guy they got to do the speech was the guy who created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And obviously with the comedy course, it was first alphabetically for the artistic courses. And he was saying, oh, I think it's such a great idea to celebrate comedy and study it. And we were just like, dude, shut up. Shut up, just let us get on and off, please. <laughs> I remember I didn't go to my graduation, but um, my girlfriend for, the, for a time was, you know, Nat was in the year above. Mm. Yeah. And at her graduation, no one comedy related or theater related spoke. But Joe Brand spoke to the fashion students. <laughs> what so a missed a, opportunity. At a different ceremony, a big TV name comedian spoke, but not, not at theirs. <laughs> what, what a swing. What a what? miss. <laughs> that always amused me. That like, Because we used to say, like, oh, they just can't get anyone, but they can. <laughs> <laughs> they just chose not, not to us. give them to us. <laughs> Um, but I remember getting that disc though once well I found it like you, you painstakingly edited it and I watched it for about genuinely watched it the first time for like 10 minutes and I was like one I was trying to in my mentally process just this unrelenting cage in the wicker man and instantly the mist that I had just shrank away because I was like I can't be angry at this like this is like for me as a Cage fan, I was like, this is like the greatest gesture of I'm sorry. And I was like, and I was like, I was like, we are so good. Like (laughs) water under the bridge. It's a thing. It's a blip that happened. Like we're back to square one, buddy. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's probably the most uh, uh, well-spent time I've ever had on Final Cut. Winning you back. A relentless amount of Nicholas Cage. (laughs) Oh, what, what an amazing... And to this day, one of the greatest gestures that has ever been uh, made for little old me. Well, and, uh, I also just posted it in your door, I remember. I didn't even knock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That was so toxic masculinity of me. <laughs> didn't make eye contact. I only spoke to you about it a couple of days afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, a disc, that's interesting. It's addressed to me. And then I watched it. I know what this is, and I know exactly why this is here. Um, yeah, but that that romantic, lovely gesture obviously brings me to sort of wrapping up now. But again, as we said, this is not your first time with a Wicker Man. Summarising, um, what are your thoughts and arguably the cagiest of the Cage films? I think this film should be um, preserved for all time. Uh, I think there's almost no doubt that if you look back at 21st century cinema and 20th century just the last 100 years of cinema Nicolas Cage is a huge force within it very much an individualist making uh, films that a lot of people would say no to uh, but making them in a really distinctly his own way and I think if you want to see a film done that if you want to see a Nicolas Cage film that really exemplifies that that sense it's The Wicker Man because not only is it jarring and strange and overacted uh it's it's a remake of a film that's very good and they barely changed the script so it it's it serves in that sense as a testament to the the power of Nicolas Cage's acting you know I almost want to see him remake just other classic movie The Shining but just with him instead of Jack Nicholson (laughs) no you can have the exact same script and that film would be dog shit. 
It would be critically panned garbage. It could be shot for shot, exactly the same. But if it was Nicolas Cage, but then 15 years later, you'd be doing a dissertation about it in a, in a media studies course because he, he makes things that last, even if they don't seem like they should have been made. And The Wicker Man, the 2006 Wicker Man, is the film you want to watch if you want to get into Nicolas Cage. That is my, that is my closing feelings. Welcome to that TED Talk. I'll go to that one anytime. It's, it's a wonderful summary of Cage. And I think ultimately, whether you love him or hate him, like his movies, dislike his movies, um, it's, we can all agree you'll be talking about it after the fact. Um, and even, even though one of, this, uh, one of these types of Cage films, it's easy to meme, it's easy to pick apart and laugh at. It is an unapologetically and unintentionally hilarious film um, I have a weird soft spot for it. I won't defend it as the pinnacle of cinema, but as a cage film, uh, 10 out of 10 gets a golden cage from me. Um, but it sort of makes me think... A golden cage? <laughs> okay. I, uh, <laughs> I rate cage films on bronze, silver, gold. You never get less than a bronze because you just can't make bad cinema. Um, <laughs> it's in a... Always podiums. Always podiums. <laughs> absolute podium finish every fucking time uh but it makes me think uh, a few years ago he was on an episode of inside the actor studio and was he oh i need to see that so badly <laughs> <laughs> and at the end um i think they always get asked the question um they say one day you know you're at the pearly gates the gates open and you see god what's the one thing you say to him and nicholas cage's answer was at least i tried and by god the wicker man at least he tried, and I'll forever be thankful for this absolute amazing bit of cinema. Um, Me too. Me too. What a beautiful experience we've had here, Daryl. I feel like we're 19 again. <laughs> <laughs> we've toured the island, we've experienced their crafts, their wares, their nectar, and had a lovely time at the festival. And unlike Cage, we left with nothing but memories. Um, so what an experience. Thank you once again, Andy Field, for joining me on the journey to True Cajun Nirvana. Uh, social media-wise, where can uh, Bragers find you? Um, well, I've not got consistency on my brand, but my Twitter is at AndyAndyField, and my Instagram is at AndyField, like the woman's name, Anne. And then there might be underscores or hyphens, I don't use it that much. Twitter's where you want to go. And that one's Andy, Andy Field. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andy, Andy Field. Uh, but that brings us to the end of this episode. What an experience. What a joy. Once again, thank you to Andy Field for joining me for The Wicker Man. And all of you lovelies out there, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.